0: I've listened to Fragile by Yes for several years. And I listened to it once yesterday. Welcome to Spin It. Everybody, welcome back to Spin It, the record-ranking podcast for people who would rather be listening to music. I'm James, and with me is Connor. That's me. That's him. I need a catchphrase. You you do. You always just say, that's me. Don't go overboard with a catchphrase, but you have my permission to consider options. Maybe give them a <laughs> test run. Maybe you could give a test run to a couple.
1: That got way less uh, feed, uh, pushback than I thought it would.
0: Well, I I don't know. It could be a fun thing.
1: I really thought you'd instantly just be like, no, absolutely not.
0: (laughs) No, I'm open to the idea. I can be fun.
1: Well, everybody else on this podcast has catchphrases. I just thought, if I had one. It's just
0: you that doesn't. You got a good point. We won't get into the irony behind saying everyone else on this podcast (laughs) has a catchphrase. (laughs) But uh, yeah, this week we're talking about an album that, I'm. spoiler alert, it's one that I like a lot. Um, It's Fragile by the band Yes.
1: We went into that like you were expecting me to say something but I
0: don't have anything to say. That's why you need a catchphrase. <laughs> Just stick it right there.
1: yabba dabba doo. No, no,
0: that one's taken. <laughs> oh. Hannah Barbera will sue us. Yes. Do you know any Yes songs? Maybe some of the ones that aren't from this album, like Owner of a Lonely Heart.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I was really sad when we weren't doing that one.
0: Yeah, well, this one's got its charms, and of course, I mean, another pretty significant Yes track roundabout.
1: Yeah, I didn't realize I knew that song until we got into it.
0: I figured that would be one that you wouldn't ever guess that you'd recognize, but once you heard it, you'd know at least a mm-hmm. little bit. Yeah. Well. Yes.
1: Yes. Can I, can I, ca- I don't, I was asked if my catchphrase could be yes, but I realized I don't want it to be yes.
0: <laughs> no, it's a bad catchphrase. <laughs> <laughs> Just nobody, you'd be the yes man. <laughs> Well, I, do, I can tell you a little bit more about yes, if you don't know. Yes, yes. This oh gosh, <laughs> it's gonna be a long episode. <laughs> We can't agree with each other or else we'll say the band's name. <laughs> yes is a prog rock band that got together in 1968 from London, England. And, I mean, when you're talking about Yes, they I saw them described as having a small army of rotating musicians. And that's really accurate. They kind of had three different eras of the band with more than 19 full-time members over the course of their history. So we don't have And time. we're going to talk about every one of them. No, no, we definitely don't have time to go into all of that because that's a lot i feel like we could just do an entire episode on each era of yes but and that's what we're gonna do no it's not no i I hate to tell you no in the yes episode sorry
1: (laughs) i'm getting the signals crossed here
0: yeah you are a little bit the only lineup i mean a little bit that we're going to talk about is the founding lineup here we've got john anderson who's the front man Chris Squire plays the bass. Peter Banks plays the guitar. Tony Kaye played the keyboard. And Bill Bruford was on the drums. That's the five. By the time the band was ready to record Fragile, they had kind of grown apart from Tony K. He was kind of reluctant to try a lot of the band's ideas and he wanted to do more traditional instruments like the piano and the Hammond organ. And that's not exactly what the band was hoping for from a progressive rock band. You know, it's not very progressive to just stick to the tried and true. They wanted to do things like uh, use Mellotrons and the Mini Moog synthesizer and he just was not having it. So they kind of kicked him out and he was replaced by Rick Wakeman a classically trained pianist who already had quite a resume. He played for artists including David Bowie and Elton John. And actually, he was offered a spot with David Bowie's touring band the exact same day that he was invited to join Yes. So, guess which one he chose?
1: Uh, David Bowie's touring
0: band? No, Yes. Wait, Yes? Yes. No. No, no, Yes.
1: No, No, Yes? Yes. Yes, David Bowie.
0: No, not David Bowie. Yes, Yes.
1: Oh, 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 yes, yes. Yes, yes. Maybe that'll be my catchphrase. Uh, Just yes was a bad catchphrase, but yes, yes. Maybe, maybe.
0: It's a little more unique. So that's the original lineup for Fragile. Add Rick Wakeman, subtract Tony K. That's your, that's your five for yes. The first era was from their foundation in 1968 up through 1981. The group was super productive. They released 10 studio albums during this time from their self-titled debut all the way through other notable records like Fragile and Close to the Edge. And at that point, you know, 1981, the band kind of just decides to dissolve without a lot of fanfare. One member after another just kind of finds a side project to go dip into other things to do whether that's music production, playing in other groups, you know, other things apart from music entirely. During this first break, Chris Squire and Alan White of Yes, who actually, Alan White just passed away literally the day that we're recording this, which is terribly sad. Rest in peace. But uh, Chris Squire and Alan White proposed an idea for a new band with Led Zeppelin guitarist Jimmy Page called XYZ. (laughs) which stood for X, Yes, and Zeppelin, like EX, like they used to be a part of Yes and Zeppelin, it didn't get much traction. They only really recorded a handful of tracks, and they got leaked out to the public. So XYZ does exist if that interests you prog rock fans. In 1982, a year after Yes broke up, Chris Squire, Alan White, and Tony K, the original keyboardist, got together with a new singer in Trevor Rabin in a band called Cinema, and they had no intentions of making that band into a Yes reboot. They started working on Cinema Debut album, but halfway through the process, they rediscovered John Anderson and they said, Hey, hey, John, come sing on this new record we're doing. So in 1983, Anderson comes back and they go, Well, maybe this is uh, maybe this is just yes a second time. And so they rebranded cinema into yes, they made the same band a second time. Trevor Rabin at that point was worried that he was kind of third wheeling, you know, jumping into an old band instead of starting a new one. But boy, was he wrong, he really contributed pretty heavily to that next era of yes. It really kicked off with the release of 90125, which is an album that featured the other biggest songs of theirs, you know, Owner of a Lonely Heart changes, and a lot more. This era was a pretty long one. They put out nine more albums between 1983 and 2004, at which point the band went on quote-unquote hiatus after a really, really taxing tour schedule. But their four-year hiatus ended in 2008 when they reunited for a 40th anniversary tour for Close to the Edge. They didn't exactly plan on recording anything, but in 2010, they announced a new album was on the way. So, you know, to date... Three new albums have come out of this ongoing era of the band, which makes a whopping total of 22 studio albums from Yes. And again, a lot of full-time members over the years and the eras. Yes has sold 13.5 million albums in the United States and more than 30 million albums around the world, which is just an astronomical number. VH1 listed them at number 94 on their 100 Greatest Artists of Hard Rock. Yes was actually eligible for a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction in 1994, but they didn't make it. And by 2013, there was a massive campaign. I don't know if you know about this, but it was a pretty big deal. Big old campaign to get Yes inducted that involved U.S. politicians, the former president of NBC, and more. Like, a lot of high-profile people were like, put Yes in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. They were nominated, but they failed. The band wouldn't be inducted until 2017, finally, when Anderson Howe, Rabin Squire, Wakeman K., Bruford, and White all made it into the Hall of Fame. They were actually inducted by Getty Lee and Alex Lifeson from Rush, sister prog rock band. Yes has five Grammy nominations and one Grammy win for Best Rock Instrumental Performance. And, I mean, frankly... They've just been one of the most influential bands in progressive rock with tons of contemporaries and future greats citing this band and all of this members as pretty significant influences. So that's a uh, background on yes. Did you get all that?
1: You talking to me? Yes. You talking to me?
0: Yes. Yes.
1: What do you think that, you know, that would work as a catchphrase? Oh, you want
0: you Oh, you want you want talking to me as a catchphrase? I, I don't know.
1: It's another pretty popular one. It's another one that you I th- kind of I, think, I don't think we get away with. Yeah. You know?
0: Keep workshopping. <laughs> This week we're talking about Fragile, of course. Fragile came out on November 26th, 1971. It was the band's fourth studio album, just the fourth out of 22. The title, Fragile, was inspired when their manager, Brian Lane, saw some pictures from a past tour that had equipment boxes in them, and they had Fragile stamped all across them. And given the band's recent lineup changes at that time, he kind of postulated that the band was quote-unquote breakable during that phase, during that time. So Fragile seemed like a good title. The album cost $30,000 to produce in total, which is relatively cheap based on the standard of albums that we've talked about so far. We've had some big budget budget records. Fragile was a big success. It peaked at number four on the U.S. Billboard's top LPs chart and number seven in the U.K. Roundabout was edited down for time and it peaked at number 13 as a radio single and the album has been certified double platinum for selling more than two million copies in the United States. Little trivia about this album and this is A really fun thing that we'll talk about more when we get into the track by track analysis. Only four songs on this record were written by the group as a whole. Every single member of the band, each of the five, gets the solo song on this album, which is super unique. And I think we really kind of get a sense of the group through the vehicle of their individual songs on this record, which is part of why I love it and part of why I think it's a great one to talk about on the podcast. So with that said, I think it's probably time for Factor Spin. Are you ready to go wake up the mixtaper?
1: To Inspinity and beyond. To Inspinity? Oh
0: my goodness. Yeah. No, that... No? No. That doesn't make sense. I mean, you just made up a word. You just made up the concept of Inspinity. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You can't deny it. You just did.
1: (laughs) You caught me. It's hard coming up with a catchphrase. Yeah, it is. It's not easy. But yeah, I guess it's time for some Factor Spin. It sure is. So, uh, with that, uh, say hello to my little friend.
0: Nope, that one's way taken.
1: Hey, it's me, the mixtaper.
0: Hello. Welcome back to the podcast. Welcome back for another week of Factor Spin. Do you know which band we're talking about this week? Yes. Exactly.
1: Are we going to make those jokes the entire episode? Uh, I'm probably sick of them by now.
0: Also, yes. We probably will. <laughs> Well, I'm excited to hear some true facts about the 19 members of Yes. I mean, you you probably had a lot of information to sift through and work with with this band, so this could really
1: go anywhere. Maybe I did. Maybe I didn't. We'll find out. Yeah, we will. As we get into my first fact, there was two of them.
0: This is another repeat fact. Yes. Two yeses, you say. Now, we've talked about how there was yes, and then they broke up into cinema, and then reformed it to the second yes. That's not what you're talking about. Yes. Oh, that is what you're talking about. No. Oh, you said yes the second time.
1: Sorry. <laughs> I, was, I was in the zone.
0: can't <laughs> be in the zone and just lie to me. Um,
1: <laughs> Technically, I, I get in the zone and lie to you every week,
0: but... Some weeks you're more in the zone than others. Yeah. How were there two yeses? Was this a situation like Fleetwood Mac where the manager just wanted a second yes, and the band didn't want to go along with it?
1: This is a situation where members of the band wanted a second yes. They so like a side project. Uh, so before we get into it, let me give you a little background on some of some information about yes as a business. Okay.
0: Yeah, the business of yes.
1: Exactly. So <clears throat> there's Yes97 LLC, which is owned by Howie, uh, Squire's Estate, and White. Is it Howie? How? What's his name? How. How. I wasn't paying attention when you said it. How? 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 Then there's Yes Touring LLC, which is now inactive. That was set up in 2014 by How, Squire, and White. Then there's Anderson Squire and White, who earlier created Yes 2002 LLC. The trademark on the Yes logo was reg- registered by Anderson Squire and White back in 1980, uh, and that that's pretty much most of it. So there's a lot of different companies involved in the band, yes.
0: So many yeses.
1: Held by various members.
0: Yeah. Why do they need so many LLCs? I mean, some of them I understand, I guess, for registering trademarks and touring and yeah, whatever, I don't know. but you just mentioned, like, Yes 2002 or whatever. Like, why did they just need a new one in 2002?
1: Yeah, uh, I don't know. Uh, but... Pretty much what happened in terms of the fact that I care about is, yes, split into two bands just 72 hours after being inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame.
0: Oh, I think I know about this a little bit. Perhaps. I know that there was a lot of tension between members of the band, and I think it was almost like a Fleetwood Mac situation exactly, where they kind of hated each other, and when they got inducted yeah. to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, they like sat at separate tables, <laughs> backs to each mm-hmm. other. And they the-
1: showed up in two, yep, and they showed up in two different groups. And- mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, they were two split up. So did both bands exist? Did they make a second yes and, and tour as a yeah. second yes?
1: So the original Yes continued on under the leadership of Howell and White and, uh, Jeff Downs and Billy Sherwood, uh, rounded out the rest of that group. Meanwhile, the other members who were currently touring as Anderson, Rabin, Wakeman, just 72 hours after being inducted, uh, officially changed their names to Yes featuring John Anderson, Trevor Rabin, Rick Wakeman. Oh. And so then there was Yes, which had how white the other and then there was Yes featuring and then other members who were originally part of the original Yes
0: interesting
1: and so we had two Yeses did people get confused by this <laughs> i would imagine so
0: weird now
1: so, so yeah and then Anderson Rabin Rabin Wakeman again they toured before this induction as ARW and then changed their name to Yes and yeah <laughs> Yes featuring ARW basically and again who uh who did i say uh it's uh the Yes logo belongs to Anderson, Squire, and White. And so Anderson, who's a member of Yes featuring ARW, has rights to the official trademark of their logo and everything, whereas the official Yes band doesn't. Oh. Kind of. It's a lot of, it, it, as I say, it gets crazy. As I said, yeah, kind of pay attention to who has their hands in the different companies. because, like, <laughs> In the different LLCs. The, the official Yes that's owned, that was owned by Howie Squire's estate in White you know, belongs to the official Yes, but then the trademark of the logo is registered to Anderson, who is part of Yes featuring ARW. And so it, go- it goes all over the place.
0: It sure does. I think I'm going to say this is a fact.
1: Well, that's a pretty safe bet, because I don't think I could have kept all that straight as a spin. This is a fact. <laughs> <laughs> Yay.
0: That's, that's pretty good. Starting off with a fact. That's a mess that is an absolute mess and i can't believe anybody could keep it straight even the people that
1: knew it best i'm sure i didn't there's probably something i got wrong in there
0: oh no that makes it spin
1: (laughs) hey point for me
0: (laughs) (laughs) i don't think that counts
1: well let's see if this next one counts as a fact or a spin and that's how owns a piano that has all of its keys backwards.
0: Okay, I always say okay before I start to answer a fact. When you say the keys are backwards, do you mean the notes go from high on the left side to low on the right? Or do you mean the keys are facing the inside of the piano? <laughs> no, the first one. <laughs> Just to check. Uh,
1: yeah, yeah, the, the order of the notes is backwards i guess it's the more accurate. bizarre
0: so was this uh a novelty piano that was meant to be that way or did some piano manufacturer lose their job little
1: calm a little calm b <laughs> oh
0: oh yeah <laughs> so so what i infer from your answer of that is that somebody said hey i have a great idea for a novelty piano <laughs> let's make eight hundred thousand of these and then <laughs> nobody ever bought them and it was a big flop and he got fired no
1: uh how made this himself actually
0: Oh, okay. He made it himself. Why?
1: Yes, it's back up to 1963 when Hal was working at a piano shop before his music career. Okay, I see. (laughs) Now we've set that scene. Go ahead and ask another question.
0: Was this a piano that he owned or a piano that was owned by his employer?
1: Uh, piano owned by his employer. Okay,
0: yeah, we're starting to unravel the mystery now. Hmm. Did anybody how was this discovered? Somebody buy the piano fraudulently and like or did they sit down and play it in the store and figure out that it was backwards? How built it? But yeah, I know he built it, but how did people discover that it was built wrong?
1: Oh, well he did it on purpose and showed it to them.
0: Oh. Why? What was his reason for this?
1: So, to learn more about working on pianos, his boss had him kind of building a piano out of a bunch of old spare parts and scrap stuff lying around the mm-hmm. shop. Yeah. And as a joke, he purposely uh t- tightened the strings and tuned them backwards. Put, up, put all the tuning blocks in and stuff backwards uh as a joke.
0: So they didn't think the joke was very funny, apparently.
1: Funny enough that when he then quit his job to go join his first band, The Syndicates, in 1964. His boss gifted him his creation as a present when he left. Well, that's nice. Does he ever play it? I, w- I would hope so.
0: I mean, it'd probably be a weird one to learn.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, it feels like a novelty piano that you play at, like, parties or something. Maybe.
0: Play it looking in a mirror and you, you'd you probably have just a normal piano.
1: <laughs> By that logic, anytime you're playing a normal piano in a mirror, you're playing an abomination.
0: <laughs> abomination? <laughs> yeah maybe i don't know i think this is a true fact
1: like this is another true fact
0: for some reason yeah i uh, i guess there's not really any concrete proof but i i like the story of it and uh, i'm just just gonna say true
1: oh, i'm just gonna say spin oh, this man. is a fake fact that's a shame he did work at a piano store before joining his first band the syndicates and all that but made up everything about the backwards piano
0: oh you made it all up it doesn't exist anywhere
1: yep i saw that he worked at a piano store and i built something off of that
0: you sure did you built an abomination
1: (laughs) (laughs) and it's beautiful my next potentially true fact for you is that bill brufford again i should really should have been paying attention when you said all the names uh (laughs) that's okay bill has skin writing disease
0: now, is that the thing where you can, like, trace, like, scratch your skin and it will turn red and, like, the mark will stay for a Indeed.
1: Bit? Also known as, by its medical term, dermatographia.
0: Interesting.
1: For those unaware, it is a skin condition that causes you to develop raised marks called wheels, W-H-E-A-L-S, or a reaction similar to hives when you scratch, apply pressure, or rub... Your skin.
0: That seems like a lot of the time. I feel like my skin is frequently um, under pressure, rubbed, scratched, or yes. something. So it
1: causes raised marks that usually last for about a half hour. That's a long away.
0: time. How long has he had this? Is, is it a thing that you have from birth, or does it develop?
1: Uh, I don't actually know. Uh, according to this article, it it's a lifelong condition, but I don't know if it's something that develops or something you're born with.
0: Well, since when you were born is part of your life, I guess that would apply you could be born with it. Yeah. I don't even know what else to ask. What indeed? I'm going to say this is a spin.
1: Ooh, going spin on this I'm one. I'm
0: going spin on this one. Yeah.
1: Any particular reason?
0: Well, so part of my particular reason is it probably be really hard to hold drumsticks and like have friction on your palms all the time. If you've got a disease like this, it's going to cause raised bumps and irritation.
1: Being a unlicensed non-doctor, I am going. Oh, no, to you're choose. a licensed
0: non-doctor. <laughs> you're officially not a doctor. <laughs>
1: I'm going to choose to believe. this. The effect probably doesn't affect your palms too much because of all the calluses that build up on your hands.
0: Well, it's just like you choose to believe that. As a licensed Factor Spin Season 1 champion, I'm going to say this is a spin.
1: Well, your credentials are better than mine, apparently, because this is a spin. <laughs> yeah, all right.
0: Good, I got the skin spin.
1: I I, I saw an article about skin writing disease, and I wanted to talk about it on the podcast, so that was my way of shoehorning that in.
0: That was also kind (laughs) of my
1: assumption. You assumed right. I got one more for you, though. Classic four. Of course. Yes. For a short period of time, the band changed their name to No. Well, I love this fact. (laughs) (laughs) That's hilarious. I thought this would be a good one to end on. It sure is.
0: How short of a period of time are we talking? One concert. One concert. That's not even enough time to advertise that you're formerly known as yes.
1: Oh, they advertised it. <laughs> How's that? Well, they recreated a lot of their classic merch and album art with the new name No.
0: No. When did this happen?
1: 2009.
0: It would have been funny if when they split up into two yeses, one was yes and the <laughs> other was no. <laughs> what do I know? In two thousand nine, you say mm-hmm. so almost modern. Yes, almost. So why why did they do this? Just for for laughs, for kicks and giggles?
1: It was part of a anti drug fair that they performed at in London, England.
0: Oh, that's clever. Oh, that's that's wonderfully clever. Like say no to drugs, but no.
1: Yeah, exactly. It was part of the just say no to drugs campaign, and they took all their classic like merchandise and album art and made versions of it that had the new name no on it instead of yes, and sold it. As kind of limited edition items, and then all the proceeds went to the cause.
0: I love that. I love it. It's for the cause. That's cool. Did they change anything else or just, just the name?
1: Just the name. What else would they have changed? Well, I I don't know. (laughs) All their names? I don't know.
0: (laughs) Maybe they would have changed the names. Maybe they would have changed their outfits or, I don't know, played songs like in reverse.
1: Just added the word no into everything. Their names,
0: their
1: song titles. Yeah. Whatever. (laughs) Like
0: a short distance walk around. I don't know. (laughs) But it makes sense. So I'm going to say, despite this fact being about the band, saying no. I'm gonna say yes, this
1: is a fact. This is another fact.
0: I'm leaning I'm leaning into it. I'm buying what you're selling if this is a spin. I'm I'm all about it. I, I want this to be true.
1: I'm selling a web of lies. This is a spin. Are
0: you kidding? Oh I've <laughs> never wanted a fact to be true on this podcast more. That's disappointing. Uh-huh. I'm thoroughly. You don't know
1: this was the first thing before I looked up any information about the band, before I did anything at all. The first thing I did was say, this is a band called Yes. I need to create a convincing fact where they change their name to No and get James to believe it. That was my entire goal of the episode.
0: Well, congratulations. I accomplished
1: everything I wanted and more.
0: And more. What was
1: the more? Well, because I got got you on the backwards keys as well.
0: That's true. Another 50-50 week.
1: Yep. I I think the tiebreaker should be you falling for me just saying they changed their name from yes to no.
0: I wanted to believe it from the start. (laughs) I was blind.
1: (laughs) Such a ridiculous thing.
0: It is, but it's so funny. And it makes sense to say no to drugs. (laughs) That's an established... Thing. It's so clever, it's right? It's so clever. Did good. Dang, they should have done that. Yes, if you're listening. This
1: is the These are the kind of facts or fake facts that got me my doctorate in evil. That's
0: that's it. You did your dissertation on things like this. <laughs> well, I'm upset.
1: <laughs> With that, I guess I'm out of here. I guess you are. And I'll see you next week. You sure will. On another round of fact or spin. Boy, that Yeah. And welcome back to Connor here's Connor. Nope,
0: nope, that one belongs to The Shining. No? Nope, that one's a little too ax murder.y
1: <laughs> Well, Well, uh, frankly, my dear, I don't give a spin.
0: <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, that one's okay. It's okay, but I... Why is
1: that one okay?
0: Because <laughs> I just caught me off guard, but I honestly...
1: Oh, okay. Yeah,
0: I expect that one to be gone with the spin by the next time you bring it up. Oh. <laughs>
1: that was good, that was fast, that was quitted thank you i try
0: as is tradition the next thing we have to talk about is the album art for fragile fragile is the first time that yes worked with the longtime collaborator roger dean an artist who created their logo their stage sets and their album art and he's also known for his work with the band asia he's done a lot of work with them
1: silly james asia's a continent not a band
0: Well, okay, but why not both?
1: (laughs) Okay, yeah, why not?
0: Why? If all of Asia made a band, do you know how much music they could play?
1: (laughs) They'd have to double up on some instruments.
0: Probably. Yeah, I don't... (laughs) That's a great question. Are there enough instruments in the world that everybody in Asia could play one and it'd be unique?
1: Absolutely not.
0: (laughs) (laughs) There's no It's worth research, though. It's worth looking into. I'm on it. (laughs) That'll be for the mixtapers next factor spin. (laughs) So here's a little trivia tidbit about Roger Dean, the album artist. He was friends and neighbors with Storm Thorgerson, a guy that we first talked about way back in episode seven. He designed Pink Floyd's Dark Side cover. Oh. He was neighbors with the guy that made Fragile, Small World.
1: I have the answer, by the way, whenever we're ready for it.
0: Oh, yeah, I'm ready for it.
1: So population of Asia, 4.561. As of 2018.
0: This is going to be pitifully far away.
1: Now, uh, for everybody's favorite game show, guess that... uh, It's not really a dollar amount, I guess. Ignore that. Scratch that. There are a whopping six main categories of musical instruments today, with a total of over 1,500 instruments across those six main categories. Pitiful. So, you know, just take 4.561 billion and divide it by 1,500, and that's how many we have to double up on. Easy. Piece of cake. That means
0: only 3,040,667 people would have to play each instrument.
1: (laughs) Dude, that would be a great band. 3 million drummers. Imagine the wall of sound you'd get from that. Do you think if every person in Asia played in a band together at the same time, you'd be able to hear it here in America? you think the sound, the sound wave created by just that many millions of people or billions of people playing an instrument at the same time would carry that far? Almost certainly. Man, that'd be crazy. It'd be like a sonic boom if everybody played like a trumpet at the same time in Asia. Yeah. Wow, that's wild. <laughs> Got another goal for the Spin It podcast is the <laughs> this is the way the world ends.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we need billions uh, of trumpets. <laughs>
1: All all, all blatting out at once. Oh,
0: that's, you know, you give everybody a trumpet, the world will be flat. Thank you. Thank you. I'll be here all week. (laughs) Roger Dean even had a series of postage stamps made that feature his work, including stuff that he did for Yes. So Roger Dean sets out to design a cover for the record Fragile, and he comes up with lore. That's what this picture is. This this album cover depicts a child who's dreaming that the planet they're living on is fragile and breaking apart. So they build what he calls a space arc to pioneer their way to another planet. But also... That's what that's supposed to be? Yes, that's the space arc to continue to... They, it looks like a bug. It does look like a bug, but it's a big giant ship and it's supposed to carry them to a new planet, but afraid of change and afraid to leave what they know behind. They try and tow the pieces of the broken earth along behind them.
1: But the earth's not broken in that photo, is it?
0: Do you see that big crack going through it?
1: Yeah, but it's not like in pieces. It's, it's not got a big crack.
0: shattered yet. It's just fragile.
1: I like the lore. Don't think you thought through the feasibility of the idea. I mean, what are you going to do when like you get two large masses next to one another? Their gravitational poles are going to... Make them collide.
0: They're going to smush the arc right in between them. That's the problem for a later Yes record. <laughs> fragile is the beginning of the journey.
1: This is what caused them to fracture into two Yeses. A
0: tale of two Yeses. Or Fragile. Maybe. But that's enough about the album art. I say we dive right in, head first, into the first track on this album, Roundabout. It's honestly one of Yes's best known songs. One of the biggest songs from this record, especially.
1: Mm-hmm. And a good one.
0: And a good one. No kidding. It was the first single off this record, and it's got quite a history since the record's release. You know, it was notoriously difficult to play in Rock Band 3, and then it achieved <laughs> long-term meme status as the theme song for all those to-be-continued memes, right? Taken from, uh, like, an anime of some sort, I think. So, I'm sure you definitely, you said you know part of this song and just didn't know you know it. It's even featured, actually, in Grand Theft Auto Five.
1: Oh, Is it? Yep.
0: Yeah, so I'm sure you know parts of it, if not the whole thing.
1: Yeah, I didn't recognize it until we got to the faster pace section. I was just grooving along to that intro. It's like, I really like this intro. The guitar is great. And then it picked up the pace. I went, oh, wait a second.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, familiar. I've been here before. Yeah. I love... The way that the song is segmented all up, it's it's beautiful, and that peaceful little guitar intro is just a small part of it. Roundabout is one of the four full band compositions on the record, one of the songs that everybody got to work on. Steve Howe and John Anderson wrote this about the scenery around Anderson's home in Scotland. Anderson said that they were in the van around Glasgow, about a three and a half hour drive. He said there were mountains and lakes everywhere. I had smoked a joint, so everything was vivid and mystical. As we drove along, we encountered a fair number of roundabouts, what you in the states call traffic circles which is that true i'm in the states and i've always called them roundabouts
1: unfortunately it's one of those things like pop versus soda where depending on where you are in the states some call it roundabout some call it traffic circle
0: oh yeah pop versus yeah. soda is and fine. there's
1: a third there's like a third there's like a third weird name for them too uh ooh, can we give them a fourth weird? like name? the people who call like the people that call all like soda coke like there's that section of people yeah hey tell us what you call
0: roundabouts audience <laughs> And if you don't know what we're talking about when we say roundabouts, I don't know how to communicate what we want you to tell us that you call it.
1: (laughs) Oh, rotaries. That's the other one. Okay. Some people call them rotaries.
0: Like road-aries because it's
1: it's part of the road. Yeah, but spelled lame. R-O-T instead of R-O-A-D.
0: Right. So like rotary like a wheel. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's notably in New Jersey and Washington, D.C.,
0: Interesting. The more you know. Spin is the only podcast where you can learn about how many people per instrument exist in Asia and what people in New Jersey call roundabouts.
1: Some people just call them circles, apparently. Well, that's... (laughs) That's low effort. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) But basically the point is, yeah, um, they basically, they pretty much just described the scenery that they were seeing around them in these lyrics. They actually were in and around the lake. Mountains really did come out of the sky and they stood there. Now, one thing that's awesome about Roundabout, like I mentioned, is just the way that it reinvents itself into different segments. We have a couple of different repeating sections in here. And I think something that you would like is while they echo and repeat themselves, they're never too, too similar to one another. The song uses a couple different time signatures, sometimes simultaneously, to try and change it up.
1: Yes, which is fun.
0: Yeah, a lot of the song is in 4-4, of course, but the chorus is in 14-4, which may be the only time we ever talk about that on this podcast. We may never encounter another 14-4. It's the classic
1: fourteen four.
0: 4 Nah, don't push it. Oh, okay.
1: And then... Speaking of pushing, and I came up with another catchphrase. Yeah. (laughs) Yippee-ki-yay, mother spinners. Nope. I don't think that one's gonna Uh fly
0: either. It's a good guess. It's a good attempt. And then at the end of the chorus, the vocals switch to 7-4 time. It's a lot to wrap your head around. A lot going on.
1: Mm, yeah. It's a lot going on, but I like it. it keeps it funky. It does. It really does.
0: And I just love how the words sound so good together, <laughs> right? They're fun to sing and fun to listen to. Roundabout, out and out, 24 before my love and I'll be there. It's like, what a cadence. What a rhyme scheme. It's, it's just kind of on every level that that one works. Indeed. Yeah. The part of the song that got cut down when it turned into a single is that middle section. The part that starts with along the drifting cloud, the eagle searching down on the land, they cut that part out. Mm -hmm. I love that. That's one of my favorite sections. And it's a shame it got lopped off for time.
1: Well, I mean, you can't have an eight and a half minute song.
0: No, sadly. On the radio. Not usually. I mean, you probably could get away with it now. If you're listening to like a dedicated classic oh, well, dedicated station. is different. maybe yeah i don't know and uh the instrumental towards the end of the song is one of my favorites almost from any album we've hit so far it's easy to love
1: instrumentals are good instrumentals I'm a big are great fan. Mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of the next track which is an instrumental as well are you really cans and brahms yes first off great great name love me a song about cans i don't know <laughs> you just do <laughs> i don't know why uh... just something about cans <laughs> Is it cans and Brahms or cans and Brahms? I want it to be Brahms because then it rhymes. No, like Brahms, like the composer. Yeah, but Brahms rhymes with cans. Maybe it's cons and Brahms. Oh, I like that. We can go with that cons and
0: Brahms. <laughs> right. Yeah, so Kansas Brahms is Rick Wakeman's contribution to the album. It's understandably very keyboard-focused, since he's the mm-hmm. keyboard player. And to make this song, he extracted and rearranged pieces of Brahms' fourth symphony in E minor, third movement.
1: E minor, good key.
0: Sure it is, yeah, great key. And uh, if you didn't know, I mean, you said you love this song? hmm Yeah, what What do you think? Like, what what about it really gets you going?
1: I feel like this is
0: a trap. It's not a trap. I'm just so you curious. Started,
1: you started to say if you didn't know, but then pivoted to what do you like about it? So I'm scared. I'm just curious. <laughs> okay. I like it because I'm the instrumental guy on the podcast. Yeah. Uh, Like that's one of the, as I've talked about in the past, coming from a history of being in band, my ear is instantly drawn to listening to what the instruments are doing.
0: Yeah. And the instruments uh, are doing a lot on this Classical yes. chopped up piece. Yes,
1: and I, it does some fun things. Uh, like you said, it's very keyboard heavy, mm-hmm. uh, and it really, it really shreds. So you, you know, they sh- he shreds that keyboard in here. Oh yeah, tears it up. Shreds it pieces. Tears it up. And all the keys are in the right order.
0: Yes, they sure are. Well, <laughs> Rick Wakeman is not a fan of this song at all.
1: Oh, okay, so this is where we were going with that. Yeah, uh, I was being hesitant on what I said. I was scared for what the punch was gonna be
0: no this is the punch he called it dreadful but this was actually about the best he was able to do because apparently as we've learned through all of our facts and spins today yes had a lot of contractual and legal trouble and rick wakeman was no exception he was contractually unable to write a solo song for the album because he was signed as a solo artist to another label he had to make this song Hmm and give writing credit to Brahms instead because he wasn't able to write songs for anybody but himself. Yeah, right, who knew? The song that he initially wrote for the record that got scrapped when all those legality issues came up was called Handle With Care, and he turned that into the song Catherine of Aragon for his solo album The Six Wives of Henry VIII just a few years later. So it does exist. I just think it's really interesting that he literally couldn't write a song for this. Yeah. I like it. It's a short little song. I think it's easy to overlook, uh, regrettably, because, I mean, it is. There's I a lot to dig not. into there. The, I
1: mean, there's not that many songs. It's not that hard, though. It's not that easy to overlook.
0: I mean, that's... You got a point.
1: In their whole catalog, maybe it's a little easy to overlook. But it's definitely not as easy to overlook as the next one.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We Have Heaven is the third track on the album.
1: Just go ahead and take a guess at how I feel about this one.
0: <laughs> go ahead and take a guess. <laughs> Uh, I feel like this maybe is a trick question, unless the answer is you despise it. I don't, I don't know. How'd you feel?
1: Ah, despise is pretty heavy. I was just going to say it's not my favorite. No. (laughs) It's got a fun sound and it does some fun things with, you know, it's not like this limits itself in what it is, but within the scope of what they're able to pull off, they pull it off well. Sure.
0: Yeah. We Have Heaven is John Anderson's song, front man, lead singer. On older records, he wasn't always a big fan of his own singing voice. On Fragile, though, he was finally starting to open up to find his confidence and his groove. So in this song, he says the idea is like being in musical heaven. It's like a vocal party. Maybe a vocal tea party with the March Hare? Alice in Wonderland themed? I don't know. I, but Who's yeah, we. The moon dog? I don't know who the Moondog is, but somebody should tell him. Who let the Moondog out? Right. <laughs> <laughs> from there. Yes. Yeah. The only lyrics really are, are "Tell the moon dog, tell the march hare." We have heaven. They
1: start like towards he the end. something they start doing some weird round kind of stuff with the backgrounds to look around, and the he is clear uh, on top of the "Tell the moon dog, tell the march hare." It's chaos, and so it gets a bit fun there towards the end. But um, is it? It's an, It's only a minute and thirty nine seconds. But it feels longer than A Heart of the Sunrise, which is 11 minutes and 32 seconds.
0: (laughs) So it's nearly insufferable for you. Yeah. Well, guess what? I'm going to put it on the playlist. I'm just kidding. I'm not.
1: Now time to go to the south side of the sky.
0: Yeah, South Side of the Sky is the next track. It's the second on the album that is all, you know, full band composition. Everybody was in on it. South Side of the Sky, awesome title, because the song is about an expedition to the South Pole, but it goes very, very, very wrong. People die. People be dying. People do. It was inspired by a news article about something similar that actually happened in real life. The moral of the song... And the story at large is that death can be beautiful, hence going from the cold and danger of the expedition to the stimulating voice of warmth of the sky, of warmth when you die. We really just go through this journey where stuff gets cold and cold and cold, were we ever colder on that day, all the way down to were we ever warmer. On that day. Yeah. Everything changes as we start to die in the frigid South Pole. And this is another song I feel like you should like based on your previous comments, because so many of these lyrics stay the same, but the subtle changes they make shift the tone so drastically.
1: Yes, absolutely. I do like what they do with the subtle changes of the lyrics. I also really like the funky guitar instrumentals in this song. It's it's a good
0: one. Some of the best guitar solos on the album, I think.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Also, Yes is just really good at intros. They always start their songs off in such an interesting way. They captivate. Like, even a song like We Have Heaven that, like, I zoned out on, I was instantly, as soon as they started the next one, immediately snapped back into it because of the fun intro. Like, they really have a way of recapturing your focus. Yeah, and even it, when you, they lose it on some of their songs.
0: Yeah, and it does a great job of uh, leading right in. I mean, at the end of "We Have Heaven," the door opens, and as that door opens, you hear the blowing wind start to come in, and like the intro to "South Side of the Sky" starts seamlessly. It's pretty great; pulls you right in. Mm-hmm. Plus, I, I love the way the context of being a million miles away changes. You know, at the beginning, we're cold, we're hiking, we're a million miles away from civilization, from everything we've ever known, from going back. Right. And then as we get down towards the end, we start to warm up. We start to pass away. We get a million miles away from everything. (laughs) We get a million miles away from living. It's just a a wild song to think about. And I think it's a great inclusion on this album.
1: I want to know your thoughts on the title of the next track.
0: The title of the next track, 5% for Nothing. I could tell you a little bit about the title of this track. Mm Mm-hmm. 5% for nothing is the contribution of drummer Bill Bruford, and it actually did have a different title at first, but the band got ticked off with their management, and they decided that the management was taking 5% of their money for doing quote unquote essentially nothing.
1: <laughs> so I see, but why call it 5% rather than just 5%? That's just a semantics
0: thing. Is that a British thing? I'm just, well, I'm just, uh, I don't know. What do you mean? Well, I don't know. That might be a British thing, or it might be a 1970
1: really thing. I don't know. Yeah, I was just trying to figure out if there was like five of something for every cent of something that was for no- like five nothings per cent. The- or I was trying to figure that's out what was the the word
0: percent. Cent is a hundred. Five per
1: cent. Five out of a hundred. Well, but it felt. I guess for the American in me hears cent and thinks like currency, like a penny. Yeah. The two word
0: spelling here, I've, I've looked it up. The two word spelling is more common in Canada and Britain, while the one word spelling is preferred in the United States.
1: I see. See, this has been it, the only podcast where you can learn about British spellings of the word percent and how many musical instruments all of Asia would have to play in the same episode. <laughs>
0: yeah, it's, it's really all over the place. What did you think of the actual song? Title aside, if you could look past
1: another funky instrumental, you know me. It's actually my least favorite of the three instrumentals.
0: I get that it's chaotic. The liner notes
1: that mm-hmm. came
0: with the album describe this song as a sixteen-bar tune by Bill Bruford, played twice by the group, and taken directly from the percussion line.
1: And now, sixteen-bar tune different from sixteen-bar blue?
0: Yeah, it's not the it's not the sixteen-bar blue pattern. <laughs> it's very much not that. It's just that's. I the was going to say it. it didn't seem like that. No. Yeah, it's just that's the length of it. It's chaotic. It's dissonant, and it's like abrasive. Yeah, it's hard to click into, which I think is really interesting because it provides a great bridge between South Side of the Sky and Long Distance Runaround. It's this little interjection.
1: Mm -hmm. I like it better than We Have Heaven.
0: Well, yeah, it sounds like
1: that's a low bar. Yeah, a low sixteen bar.
0: (laughs) Yes, the next song is Long Distance Runaround, another full band song, and uh, Anderson wrote this one about his experience with religion. He felt like his church was a lot of big talkers who kept talking a big game and giving him the runaround. He said, It was how religion had seemed to confuse me totally. It was such a game that seemed to be played, and I was going around in circles looking for the sound of reality, the sound of God. That was my interpretation of that song, that I was always confused. So, he's getting the long-distance runaround, and he tries to mirror that constant confusion in the music of the song as well. There's another... Series of time changes. You know, did we really count two, one, hundred? Like it slows itself down. It speeds itself up. And another interesting time signature note here, the drums play in 5-4 while the band continues in 4-4 for most of the song, which is very awesome in my opinion. And I think it adds an immeasurable uh-huh. amount of pizzazz to this song.
1: It's an interesting... S- thing to do that i wish more bands did where you start having your instruments and or vote like you have your different pieces of the song start going off into their own time signature it's a fun layering technique that i wish i saw more of
0: i know yeah it's it's too rare far too rare the second verse in the song is about the murdered students at kent state university they were protesting the vietnam war and the situation got very out of control very quickly the government silencing critics he said quote-unquote was one of the big fears at the time so that's what that's about it's hard to tell from the lyrics but that was the intent behind i didn't that. know that yeah the outro of long distance Runaround" is just awesome i love it oh it's so good i love it and it leads perfectly into the fish really great moment of continuity for this
1: record <laughs> favorite title on the album
0: the fish yeah skynelaria Primaturis. <laughs>
1: Did you look that up before you before you just said it on the podcast? Yeah, there's no way you nailed that off of just guessing.
0: I've listened to this album for years and years. They sing the, the words oh, right oh, in it. That's fair. And and the fact is, one of the reasons I remember how to pronounce it, we'll get into.
1: Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> this ominous.
0: one, no, it's not ominous. Yet. <laughs> this one is chris squire's contribution to the album to his friends he was nicknamed the fish because of his tendency to take really really long baths (laughs) yeah yeah he took long baths and they started calling him the fish and he said you know what that's my song (laughs) so here's the story and why it's a super memorable secondary title to be it's kind of Lyria Promotoris. squire has this vocal melody in mind right da 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 right but he needs words he knows that he wants to do the fish right he knows he's got this nickname he wants the fish so he sends his roadie out on a mission. He says, find me an eight-syllable fish. And he couldn't. The roadie could not find an eight-syllable fish. The closest he could get was nine, the Scandellaria prematuris. Huh. Yeah, that's why the word trails off. And the us is tacked on at the end of it is the extra syllable.
1: We need to discover a species of fish and give it eight syllables.
0: So that we can rename the song. Exactly. I like it. Yeah, I'm a fan. Now, if you were curious... I know I've I've done a little research on the fish itself, too. The Skynolaria primatoris is a neotenic fish native to the Pacific Ocean. Neotenic means that it never loses a lot of its juvenile characteristics. Fun fact, a couple different fish do that. And for a while, the Skynolaria genus produced the smallest known vertebrate in the world, an 8mm breva brevipinguis. So there you go the the is for a while it was the spin
1: smallest materia, spin mater fact that's eight there you go uh, it's a stretch but It had eight
0: <laughs> whatever you say what do you think about the actual song
1: though uh it's in the same boat as uh we have heaven for me too repetitive uh, there, there's only four lines and it's the name of the fish <laughs> but no it, it just didn't stand out to me it was it was a meh uh it had my least favorite intro on the album as well mm,
0: okay i like the energy of it mostly M- more than anything else i really like the drums and how fast it feels and how confusing it is the first time you listen to it and you go what on earth is he saying what's this fish it doesn't make any sense it's really uh, a non-sequitur for this record thematically sonically and i think that's kind of what makes it fit perfectly honestly in a record of individual contributions it really emphasizes that <laughs> Mood for a Day is next, and if you're counting, you probably could have guessed. Mood for a Day is our fifth and final solo track, an instrumental from the guitarist Steve Howe. He was largely inspired by Spanish guitarist Sabicas. So he used a condo flamenco guitar on this track.
1: You say flamingo
0: guitar? Flamenco. It's a style. It's a musical
1: style. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah. Flamingo guitar would have been cooler. Would it have? Uh, (laughs) I don't know. You tell me. Is this cooler? You went out
0: and found a flamingo (laughs) guitar. (laughs) That's unplayable. (laughs) That's literally unplayable. No, that's cool. Well, that's not- There's also
1: this image, which is a flamingo playing a guitar.
0: That's cool. (laughs) No, don't think of that when you think of this song. Flamenco. Howe said, at the time he wrote this, I had settled down and just started new roots in my life, and mood for a day was supposed to represent- a happy mood for a day. I was about 28 when I realized there should be something more in my life than just the guitar. So that's what this song is all about. I think Mood for a Day, maybe, maybe, is the best guitar song we've talked about. Just in terms of pure playing skill alone. Overall. What
1: talent? you talking about like as, across all episodes.
0: Yeah. Nice. As far as guitar playing skill goes, this one's hard to beat. I love the feel of it. It's a good one.
1: I love the feel of it. They really do nail the guitar.
0: Stop sending me pictures of flamingo guitars.
1: <laughs> I'm just going to keep doing it until you acknowledged it. <laughs> they're, they're,
0: while I was sitting here telling you that and doing the quote, I've received at least half a dozen.
1: They're good, though. And they're all I'm going to think about when I hear this song.
0: Think about how good the song is. I might do that. I just love it. I love it. And so It's this, a really good one. This was your favorite of the three instrumentals?
1: Uh, it's a toss-up between it and cans it sounds
0: like a close (laughs) toss-up my goodness
1: yeah it's a toss-up between can or cons and brahms
0: whatever you want to call it and this potatoes and potatoes
1: (laughs) another song though i really liked was heart of the sunrise
0: heart of the sunrise the last track the album closer It's a song about being lost in the city and about the heat and energy of the sunrise.
1: Not lost in the citadel.
0: (laughs) No, no, that's a callback to a few episodes ago.
1: Yeah, but I was just listening to the song earlier today.
0: Isn't it great? I know, I know. Man, I just need time to get up and get off the floor. Anyway. And also it's about love song about love, of course, because sure, why not? It's the longest song on the record clocking in at 1130, Mm -hmm. surpassing even the great length of roundabout part of the sunrise is it takes the cake. Is it the longest song that we've talked about? It's up there. I like this song. This is another one that's got a lot of different sections to it.
1: It it, Well, it starts off with that like multi multi multi-part instrumental that immediately caught my interest. Of course. And then, uh, then, uh I don't know, the, the lyrics left a little something to be desired, but... I can't believe that. It's still better than The Fish or We Have Heaven in terms of lyrics, so... <laughs> At least it's not
0: so repetitive, even if it is a little disjointed.
1: It's also got a little repetitiveness to it, but no, it, it, I like it. It's catchy. Again, I was kind of drawn in by the music.
0: There's a lot of provocative words. Mm-hmm. Lose one onto the heart of the sunrise, sharp distance. How can the wind with its arms all around me. Like, there's a lot of personification going on here. A lot of, you know, words that can really make you feel the heat and the energy and the power and the passion. And that's what's cool about it. And then at the end of the song, they bring back one of your favorites. They <laughs> reprise Tell the Moondog, Tell the March Hare, right? <laughs> From We Have Evan. Yeah.
1: Yeah, they sure do. Mm-hmm. We don't need to talk about it. No, we don't. Everything, oh. everything I have to say about that, I already said. Fair enough.
0: I I think it does a good job for continuity on this album that's so disjointed. You know, to make you remember where we've come from. But if that's all you've got to say about it, that's all I've got to say about it. So I guess it's final spin time.
1: May the spin be with you.
0: No, we're not there yet. Oh. I am your (laughs) mixtaper. No, it can't be true.
1: (laughs) Search your... Feelings, you know it to be true, or whatever the hell Darth Vader says.
0: <laughs> Fake fans. <clears throat> Ooh boy. Well, uh, let's first of all select our tracks as is customary for our favorite songs playlist, our greatest you hits. You'd love to try sorts. to
1: shoehorn this in right at the beginning so you can get a sneak peek into my top three. I'm
0: not going to get a sneak peek into your top three, and I've accepted that after the last episode where we were back and forth about it. I'm just going to make my pick this time. My pick has to be Roundabout. Roundabout. I'm, all right. Yeah, I'm confident that whatever your next pick is will be one of uh one of the other ones that i would have picked and i'm just giving round about the insurance all right <clears throat> musically i think this album is awesome i think it's got a lot going on they're all great instrumentalists the time signature changes are unreal no two songs sound even remotely alike and yet they all fit together on this album like clockwork it's so nice nothing feels like we linger too long i guess you talked about cans of Brahms re- or I guess you talked about we have heaven repeating a lot and feeling like it goes on a long time but I honestly think they do a good job at keeping things short and sweet you know five percent for nothing is like a blip the fish isn't too terribly long you know everything moves quickly you move well through it the pacing is right I'm giving music an 89 lyrics are you know okay it's a little bit of a different story I love songs like Roundabout, South Side of the Sky, Long Distance Runaround that really tell a story. That's really cool. Uh, but then, you know, we have heaven. That <laughs> that takes a little bit of a dip. Heart of the Sunrise, like we mentioned, is a little all over the place. Uh, Sky and Elyria, Prematuris is a pretty cool <laughs> word, I guess. Overall- You're
1: getting less and less confident in pronouncing that every time you say it. Well, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs>
0: it's the fish. Anyway, I think the lyrics average out for me to about a 78. Instruments and production, this is probably the album's strongest point for me. They are such good instrumentalists, and it shows everywhere. I think everybody is on point. Even something like 5% for nothing that sounds cacophonous and disjointed, it's all intentionally done that way, and it takes a lot of skill to be able to play that way consistently. I love how each of their different instrumental personalities shines on their tracks. You know, Kans and Brahms with the keyboards, 5% with the drums, mood for a day with the awesome guitar. The skill is evident. The passion's evident. The instruments of production are getting a 94. And the overall vibe. Again, I think a lot of this has to do with the pacing of the album. And I, I love that it's mostly created by individual songs. You know, we get the cool glimpses of the full band on those four big tracks. Everything else is just a little, little sampling of Yes, a little snapshot of these musicians at this time. And it's neat. I'm giving... The Vibe in 89, which puts the entire album with a very respectable 87.2, placing it at number 146 on the list at this current moment. Top
1: 150 for now.
0: That's right. Top 150 for Fragile by Yes.
1: That's a good score. I think that's pretty good.
0: Yeah. I'm happy with that. Good. I'm glad. Uh, I wasn't going to change it if you weren't happy with it. So it's nice that we can agree. Yeah, you never do. How do you feel about this one? Was this a yes or a no?
1: I'm going to give them a score they can't refuse.
0: Interesting, okay. That one's a little bit godfathery. Yeah. But good, but but good. I wouldn't I wouldn't hold your breath. I wouldn't stick to that one. Oh, oh. <clears throat> <laughs> Wake up with a
1: broken record at the foot of your bed. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh yeah, no, I like this. This is good. Uh, overall, I, I I feel like I did a good job of summarizing my, my thoughts about this album as we went through it. A lot of really popular uh, Yes tracks for me. A couple of no's. Like I said, this is a pretty big album for Yes. has one of their most popular songs on it. Yeah,
0: one of their biggest albums. My top three. Please. And again, you'll get almost half the album with that honorable mention.
1: <laughs> yes. My top three in album order. Roundabout. Cons and Brahms. Mood for a day and colorable mention, heart of the sunrise. Wow, we really sandwiched this one. Yeah, we did. First two, last two are my uh, top three. That surprises me. South side of the sky. Wow. Not in there. I can't decide on my playlist, but you took roundabout. It makes my life a little easier, but I can't decide between cons and Brahms or mood for a day I really like the guitar and mood for a day but I really love how he shreds that keyboard and the e minor stuff going on in cons and Brahms
0: the song that its creator called dreadful yeah <laughs> I'm biased but I have a preference
1: I kind of want to go I I want I, yeah well I want to go with cons and Brahms mainly because I'm more of a keyboard guy than a guitar guy I know that's the opposite of what you probably would have done
0: it's yeah it is but it's my pick I can't
1: <laughs> dispute and by going with cons and Brahms which was Based off of a classical piece makes up for you not picking my classical piece in the singles episode.
0: Not only that, but we keep our absolutely ridiculous consecutive playlist tracks streak <laughs> alive. Several, I think three episodes now we've picked back to back tracks on each of these albums. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe it. Talk to me about score.
1: Ask me what my unit is. Oh 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 score? <laughs> yeah, <I'm> score force. <laughs> Yeah, I'm gonna, I'll am gonna. ask you what the unit is when you've given me a number. <laughs> so I think for a score, this one's going to get an eight from me. Ooh, okay. Well, you sounded yes.
0: like you, you, your initial response to saying, like, this was a, a good album. It sounded like you were, like, pleasant but unimpressed. I was thinking you may go seven.
1: I think I'm going to put it right above Shoots Too Narrow. Right above the shins on the eight list. No, so, like, the knees. <laughs> I guess.
0: <laughs> That's <was> flippin' stupid. <laughs> I can get behind it. Yeah, I can get behind that. Never mind.
1: Oh. I was about to make a joke, but it's so ridiculous. Uh, so you said, so like the knees, and then you said you could get behind it. So I tried to look up what the back of the knee was called. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to make a joke. And the answer is the pop little, the pop little fossa. <laughs> Sometimes referred to as the hue or knee pit.
0: That's an awful, <laughs> awful joke. I would have been like, what? And you would have had to explain that to me in the context of having told just a joke that bombed. <laughs> You're smart to pass that one up.
1: Oh gosh. Now I kinda of wanna leave it in. Only podcast where you can learn about instruments you gotta play, roundabouts, fish, and backs of the knees all in one episode. Yes,
0: we've diversified our <laughs> knowledge today.
1: Ask me what my unit is.
0: Yeah, you gave it an eight. You didn't give it a unit. So ask me. Okay. What's your unit?
1: You can't handle the unit. Nope. No?
0: Nope. Oh. <laughs> Why are so many of these Jack Nicholson quotes?
1: He's a quotable guy. <laughs> I guess so.
0: Did you order a score
1: of eight? <laughs> anyway. Uh, this one's going to get a score, uh, unit, you know, eight no's out of ten for me. Eight no's. Thank you. That's salt in that fresh wound. <laughs> Can't believe that. Yeah, really rubbed that one in on you.
0: That's terrible. The band should have changed their name to no. Anyway, yeah. uh,
1: Another
0: a good, a good pick. Good pick. Great. I, I'll take that. I appreciate your praise. Thank you, thank you, Fragile by Yes. Spin It recommends at least 80%. That's it for us this week. We hope you've enjoyed this raging, raucous episode of Spin It. Hope you had a good old time listening to all our banter and music knowledge and Yes jokes.
1: (laughs) Other knowledge. (laughs) Other
0: knowledge. (laughs) Yeah, surely. (laughs) Well, tune in next week for another exciting episode. We might even have a B-side cut. We'll see. Oh. Oh, is right. Exciting stuff, and I don't think the next album we're doing could be much more different than this one, to be honest. Which is always a fun thing to do. I love to swing wide.
1: Tune in next week
0: to find out. Tune in next week to find out. And where can you tune in to hear that B side? Well, you can tune in where you're listening right now. The B side you'll find the B side. No, you're right. The B side you'll find on www.spinitpod.com exclusively. You can also find us on Twitter at spinitpod and on Instagram at spinitpodofficial. And it's weird that I went in a different order this week. I haven't ever done that. Yeah.
1: Well <laughs> You long-term listeners were probably very weirded out by that. Don't
0: be confused. I said the same thing. <laughs> now, uh, that said, I think the only thing left to say is Connor's catchphrase. Keep spinning. Oh, uh, wait, what? No. I was going to give you another <laughs> shot at a good catchphrase.
1: I've only got one more, and I, I'm saving it for something.
0: <laughs> That's dangerous. Saving it for the outro. <laughs> Sending it for the outro. Oh, okay. Well, then I guess we'll just get to it right now. Uh, Keep spinning, everybody.
1: Keep spinning. Hasta la vista, Spinny.
0: Sounds like you're going to kill Spinny. (laughs) Don't kill Spinny. We love him.
1: Yeah, Spinny's great. I'm, I'm sorry, Spinny.